This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. I'm tired, and I'm dehydrated. I drank a lot of water. <sighs> Why too. are you tired? Because I stayed up working on this Tom Savini painting. No, I just have insomnia in general, so I don't sleep anymore. I love sleeping, but I'm also kind of nocturnal, so it's the best time for me to get a project done. Welcome back to another episode of Bearded B-Rolls, Freaky Fridays with Bearded B-Rolls. Yep. <laughs> you do this one. <laughs> no, that was good. Keep going. <laughs> Today we're talking about the movie His House. Not my house, not your house, his house. And I'm Mike. He's Mike. All right, so. That's Kyle. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, that's Kyle. What? Fuck. Fuck. Is it messing up? No, it's you. Basic introductions. Just fucking say your name. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me start this over. Let me let me start this over. Let me start this over. Welcome back to another episode of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. My partner here is Mike. And today we are talking about his house for our Freaky Friday special. Well, it's not special. We do it every week. Uh, this is a relatively new movie. came out in 2020. It's uh, a Netflix original. It's directed by someone named Remy Weeks, which I guess is a feature, like a first film. And um, it's a pretty good first outing. Wait, this was released in 2020? Because I thought it was like on my like things to watch. Or maybe it's just because I've looked for it. Never mind. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we're in 2021 now. I know it's going by pretty quick, but um, I think it only came out on Netflix a uh, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. All right. Fine. Then good. 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 Yeah. It came out I 2020. Was I was like, I thought this just came out on the Netflix and like 2020 is like a year ago. It's got a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a 3.5 out of five on IndieWire. Nobody gets a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What? How many reviews are there? Like I, I'm going to click. I'm clicking on it now. Cause I'm curious. You have one, right? Um, Wow. Okay. No, it's uh, it's got a seventy-five percent audience score, but its tomato meter is actually a hundred percent. All right. Cool. Yeah, I was gonna say I've never seen a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Even like movies that everybody loves are like never above like seventy. Anyway, so his house. What's it about? It is about uh, South Sudanese Sudanese. How do you say that? I would say Sudanese. Sudanese refugees who have made the hard trek from the Sudan, from South Sudan, over to, uh, I presume, London, because mm -hmm. the closest you get outside of like just street names is 
he goes London and the guy goes, yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> I, I believe it's supposed to be set in London, but it's in more of a housing project in London rather than like, yeah, like we don't get to see big Ben or like Buckingham palace in this movie. Yeah. No, it's like a grimier side of everything. Everything's like dirty wherever they are. All right. So, um, the movie opens up. It's them getting onto like a pickup truck. I think Rial, Rial and Bull. Rial and Bull. And they, 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 the opening scene is them getting onto a pickup truck with what is presumed to be their daughter at the time. Spoilers will happen. We have to say it now. I like that we give them away before we say that. But if you're listening to this show or watching it from, I don't know how you're doing that, but like if you show up to our house and watch us record it, you will be spoiled. Like bad fruit. <sighs> so yeah, they're obviously still in like Africa at this point because this movie does kind of the classic thing that movies always do where they turn Mexico like yellow or Eastern Europe is presented as like blue. Um, in this one, it's a little bit more subtle, but the scenes in Africa are shown as being very vibrant, very sunny, very brightly colored. And then once they get to London, everything's sort of gray, slate blue, very washed out. So that's London's, kind of the easiest. Hmm? Isn't that just kind of how London's depicted in general? Like not even like from like an artsy side for this movie, but like in everything because it's like gloomy there. That's not what London looks like. I feel like you're lying. I don't care if you've been there. I don't believe you. I've been to London. It's bright and sunny sometimes. It's cloudy other times, just like everywhere else. But for some reason, every time a movie portrays London, it's like a gloomy, foggy toilet, basically. I wonder if London gets pissed about that. So anyway, we have this couple, Riel and Bull, and they make the difficult trek across. And this movie does a lot of cutting back and forth. Like all of a sudden we're in Africa, then we're on a boat, then we're back. And and there's a lot of flashbacks. Flashbacks for sure. All throughout. And and it's not just for the purpose of like breaking up the storytelling and making it nonlinear. It's because every time we see a flashback, there's like a little bit more revealed. So it, it's definitely used as a way of developing the characters and developing the story. Yeah, it's a lot of the movie is is like a secret kind of like they're hiding something the whole time and you have to figure out what it is. And like I said that before when we were talking that like it feels like a lot of the movie is like told underneath of what you're actually seeing and hearing from everybody talking. Uh, yeah, I only watched it once, but I have to say that there was a lot of um, a lot of tension when you're watching it between the the main couple, and you you don't really know what it is. You think maybe they're just uh, nervous because they're in a new place, but I'm sure if I rewatched it, I would have a, like a lot more to think about it based on what I find out at the end of this movie. Um, so then it goes from them being in a pickup truck leaving Africa. And then we see them on a boat. The it then then it goes to like a bunch of bodies floating, right? And then Bull wakes up from a dream in the detention center. He doesn't want to tell Rial what happened because she says, "What were you dreaming about?" And he says, "The first time I saw you." No, he says, "Our wedding day." Oh, our wedding day. Well, so that's actually exposition right there. They're telling us that they're married, um, but he obviously was keeping a secret from her. And, and and at first you think maybe it's because he doesn't want to just remind her of like negative things that happen. Later we find out it's a little bit more about guilt. But um I think it was a great joke though, there also like it's a little bit of comedy in a movie that's it's it's pretty dry. Um yeah. But it's just funny because he says that and she goes, Oh, that's why all the screaming then. Or that <laughs> explains all the screaming. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was a good. I mean, this movie really had very, very little levity in it throughout. Oh, it's heavy. Like that was kind of the only joke that happened in it, I and think. Is that a real thing that happens? Is that what happens when you like uh seek asylum in another country? You get put into a detention center? Because that sounds bad. They the way that that seemed, it seemed bad. They're like sharing a room with a dude who wakes up, he's like, Oh, yeah, don't worry, you're not getting out and you're probably gonna go home to die. And then because they're being called that that like right after he wakes up, they get called in to have their meeting to find out what they're doing. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you're going to leave the detention center. And I'm like, that is that's a horrible way to label this. And like, it just sounds bad in general. When they walk out of the room, they go past another room and there's a guy being like restrained by two officers and held down to the yeah. floor and there's blood all over the floor. So don't know what the situation was there, but it got violent. So we can just see that it's not a happy place they're in. And not to mention the way that they're spoken to either in the place also, because they're, there's definitely like an animosity towards them in just like the dude that's like explaining their situation. Like he's looking down upon them for, I don't know if it's for like coming there or because like where they're from or what, but like, he definitely doesn't seem like he's excited to help these people. Yeah. They come in before this board of like three or four people that are kind of not really interviewing them, but basically telling them the next steps and what's going to happen. And the way they treat them is, is it's just so As if they aloof. expect them to fail, too. Well, it, it, it's just like, I don't know, these people uprooted their entire lives. Like, they changed everything, and they're probably going to die if they go back. And these people have no compassion. I mean, it's like when you're at the DMV, and like you forget one of your forms of identification, and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But you can tell they're not sorry. Um, yeah, they just don't care. I'm like, that's the thing, though, because like, this is like, this is like current. And I think stu- like this is stuff that happens. And like, this happened in America with asylum seekers for, I don't even know what, but like the whole thing with like all of that stuff recently where we were doing the same kind of crap. And it's like, why, why does it have to be so horrible? There's either it's like racial tension or just like a hatred of like immigration um, throughout the movie. Because it's not even just like, like one race versus the other. It's like the, the, um, the wife in it, she comes across like Real. three, three youths. Well, three black teenagers, and I, I got the impression that she was relieved to see them. Like, oh, we're the same color. Well, yeah. Help well, me. she tried to also she tried to speak to them in um in like her native language, and they are all just like, what? We don't don't do that. They actually said go back to Africa to her. Like it was just like yeah, it was it was a very. It, I mean, it was it was racist, but it was more focused on a nationalism. Like you're not British, yeah. so get the yeah. hell out of here. Nationalism, that's it. Not not necessarily racism, but nationalism. And nationalism can be just as toxic as racism sometimes. But like to go in order of things, though, like there's like um the very the first time that they like when um Matt Smith's character. Oh yeah, we should point out that Matt Smith was their like caseworker. Um, yeah, and he was like weird because he was like nice but like he was nice in like that way it's like you're different than the ones that i don't like and it's like that's not how that works like you can't just be like picking and choosing it gives the impression that like by default i am not accepting of you or your people but you are an exception you're better than most of your people because i like you instead of like realize it doesn't like trigger a broader well maybe they're not all bad maybe 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 it's just like regular people where some of us are nice and some of us are dicks 
Yeah. And like he gives that implication. It's like the it's the thing where like someone goes, oh, no, you're good because you're you're like the white version of that. And it's like being the white version of something doesn't make you better. <laughs> like, that's like such a weird way to do it. But um, yeah, so he he Matt Smith's character literally, I guess he's in for the lack of anything, like a probation officer or something. But he yeah, he he's like they're moving him in and he's like he's kind of a dick about it still. Like the door breaks and he's like, oh, yeah, uh, you should go to the hardware store and get some screws for that. And then but like you got to like I looked it up, too, because I didn't know what it was. I don't understand British money. They get 72 pounds a month, 74 pounds a month. Yeah, no, it was 74 a week, wasn't it? I thought it was a month. Even if it's a week, it doesn't matter because when I looked up how much that is, it's $102 in American money. Well, I mean, on the bright side, they're not paying rent, but I mean, that's not enough money to live on. Like, No, you could barely like eat for a week off 100 bucks. That's why he was shopping at, I guess, the dollar store. Everything was sorted in sections of like one pound, two pounds, five pounds. I guess it was like the yeah, five. There was below. also a hardware store though, because he was buying hammers and things. Because he was trying to fix the stuff that needs to get fixed. Which, how do you fix a whole bunch of stuff like that? They they walked in, the wiring was bad, everything was wrong with like their house. And I also think it's funny because the guy explains it's like, oh yeah, it's it's bigger than my house. This is like a palace, and it's like run down and like falling apart and like in like a really pizza box full of bugs. Yeah, like right, and like the whole neighborhood's gritty. It's it's like a housing project, basically. Yeah. Well, I grew up in one of those, and it was not that bad. I mean, it wasn't as bad as like the one they show on the wire, but I mean, it still wasn't like there was furniture and like a toilet in, a, in his front yard. Well, how about the scene where like there's like a like a British girl who like pees like in on front their of their house, <laughs> and then she goes, "Oh, I think someone lives here," and it's like, "What?" Which brings me back to that weird thing where I was asking you before, like it's normal to pee on houses in Britain. You're like, "Yeah." It's, you just go wherever. And I was like, I don't understand. I didn't say it was okay to pee on houses. There should just be three porta potties every three blocks in every major city. I can never do that. Um, so Matt Smith brings these people into this house, tries to talk it up. I mean, he says, it's bigger than my house. It's really nice. The whole house is yours. Meanwhile, it while it's falling apart. The power doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, when he opens the door, it caves in like the hinges break off. Yeah. Which also there's holes in the wall before he starts making holes too, mind you. But also, no, I was going to say like this, the very, when they're walking in that scene reminded me of the movie them in like the, the, the TV show there. Yeah. The TV show that I was telling you about where they're coming from somewhere far away to improve their, their lives by moving into a place that's supposed to be better and then every one of their neighbors is like staring at them like, what the fuck is that doing here? And like it, it like we said, it might just be more about the coming from another country type thing. But like it still is heavily similar to like like a racial kind of divide. Although these ones, these neighbors in this one were way creepier because they were like that creepy lady. Wasn't she the only neighbor that he really interacted with? The woman petting the cat? He tried to. Yeah. I don't think that was necessarily racism or like xenophobia. I think that was more just like, who the fuck are these people? There's somebody new moving in next door to me. Do you have a name for when you don't like immigrants? Xenophobia? Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a, like a fear or uh, hatred of like things that are foreign. All right. So they move in and then ball kind of, he's, he's ready to like, 
fully transition to like the European lifestyle. Like he's going out, he's going to the store, he's buying the tools to fix the stuff. He's going shopping. Uh, he bumps into like, it's like a church, but it, it felt more like, like a soccer club. Maybe. Yo, that fucking part, it was man. Such a weird well, thing. When we were watching that, we thought he was going to get fucking jumped because this guy Dude. pops out and he's like, Hey, are you one of them refugees? And he's like, I fucking got something for you. And we're like, Oh shit. But then he like actually oh, gave him like, of like shampoo and soap and stuff. It was, it was really surprising. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then he's like singing some, some weird British song about some guy named Peter Koch or Cooch or something. But no, I thought the same thing. That dude was like, you one of them refugees? I'm like, oh, shit, here it goes. <laughs> but no, he was like accepted. Like no, the complete opposite for um, Rial. The complete opposite for her. When she went out, she had a completely different reaction and was not accepted. And so I think that was, I, I think, I wonder if that like was meant to say something about how like he was giving up on his traditions and trying to like, like, uh, he wanted to fully assimilate. Like he yeah, wanted like he to, wanted be... to, that's the word I was looking for assimilate. Mm-hmm. And she was sticking to like her old roots and her traditional stuff. I wonder if, I wonder if that was what that was supposed to like represent because he was getting accepted and she wasn't. When he goes to the store, when he has to buy a new shirt and which is obviously later in the plot, when he walks in, he immediately gets followed by a security guard. The security guard doesn't know he's not British. He's just like, Hey, black guy, he's probably going to steal something. And just follows him well, yeah. through the store. Well, I'm not saying he was fully accepted. I'm saying like more so than Real. Well, true, but I'm just saying that like you know everybody's always going to be an outsider in some sense. But that reminded me a lot when he was like fully immersive, and she was like, "No, we still need to like dress the same way and and speak our language." And you know, like in a lot of like, even with the part where it comes to like eating, eating, and he's like, yeah. he hands her a fork. And she's like, all I do is taste metal. Oh, and he was so happy with himself, too. You know, like first generation immigrants wanted their kids to be fully like Americanized so they wouldn't even teach them their native language. And that's kind of like, that's what Ball reminded me of, right? Like he was just totally trying to abandon everything uh, that he was to be something different. But like, I guess he saw it as better, which is the main distinction between between Rial and Bull, I think. Well, yeah, like even like when he was having conversations with uh with Matt Smith's character, it was like he he agreed and then there's like a later conversation where he's like, "No, remember I'm one of the good ones." And like so like he's like he's like giving into it even through like the unacceptable aska aspects of it. Yeah, he 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 has this need for acceptance and he's not Yeah. He has no problem debasing himself to do that. Exactly. Well, I mean, that goes with the song too. Like he starts singing that song and that's kind of the same thing. Like, I don't think like he wasn't drunk. He was just like, Oh, they're singing. So if I do that, maybe they'll like me. And I was like, I would not do that. I'd I'd be so uncomfortable in that situation. So he's assimilating. And one of the weirdest things about this movie for me was the fact that Rial and Bull spend very little time together. Like neither one of them, they're not allowed to work under these conditions. They have to just stay in the house and try to like fit in with the community, which is weird because like working is how you would meet people. But despite the fact that they're both at home all the time, in the beginning of the movie, they don't actually share too many scenes together and they go out individually. Like they don't go 
experience London together. It is weird that they go separately, but like, I think it's because she's not ready to accept that this is where she is now. Like she, I feel like maybe his motive for going there was different than hers. Hers was survival because she explains how her, when she goes to the doctor, when she finally goes out, the scarification she has, she goes, Oh, those are the ones that I got when I was a little girl. These are the ones I gave myself. And what I did was I put the markings for both the tribes that are warring in my, my, my home so that I wasn't a part of any of them and they would leave me alone. Like she already gave up her, her culture, culture in essence, but for survival where it feels more like ball is just like, yeah, no, this is cool. I want to go here. That sounds better than where we are. Like, I think, well, yes, but I mean, given the flashback we see at the end, um, it's obviously both, but I feel like his, his motives may be more than just survival is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I mean, even if there wasn't like an uh, immediate sense of mortal danger, he still would have wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She was super traumatized when he, when, when they actually left for like, you know, good reason. Yeah. But well, I mean, a reason that we don't even figure out for like until the end of the movie, because it's just this whole time you're like, what, what happened? (laughs) So, like, based off the flashbacks, what like what did you originally think happened? Because what I thought happened was not good, and I mean it wasn't, but it was different. Well, let's not let's not get to the flashback yet. But like the fact that we don't know what happened makes it more interesting when like weird shit starts happening. Because like the th- the first weird thing that happens is like I think the wallpaper, like a panel of it, falls down on its own. Yeah, and then he tears away at it, and there's a hole there, right? Or does he make the hole? Uh, there was already a hole. And he sees like yeah. the doll, right? But we have to go back more then too, because that doll is, um, that's also important still. Like that doll has more reason for that because in the beginning, uh, Rael has that doll and she's like clinging onto it. Like that's something from her past. She's holding onto, she gets the necklace from, I guess it was somehow attached inside the doll. Cause it was like under the dress, um, that she's wearing now for the movie. Um, so like more things like clinging onto her past. And then she come like she goes out and Ball is fixing the door and he's like fixing everything up and he's, you know, changed his clothing to be more like I think at that point he went to the store and bought like a polo and some chinos and he literally just imitated the person that was that was on the advertisement for the outfit. He bought and her then, the same shirt that was on the advertisement too. There was like a, a husband and wife with a couple of kids. There was also an, a scene earlier, I think, where he said, like, oh, we're in a new place. We can start a family now. And she just kind of gave him a look. And he was like, all right, maybe it's too soon. Yeah. So, but, like, in that scene, she comes in and he's thrown the doll away. And she takes the doll out of the garbage. So, like, clearly this doll has, like, a deeper meaning before you get to this part. Where you find out, like, why he's trying to get rid of it. Because it's a part of, like, a bad uh, memory for him. And she's, like, hang on to it because... I don't know if it's like she wants to remember the bad parts of her past or if it's just like she just wants to remember all of her history, but it's different for each of them. I was a little confused by the the doll, to be perfectly honest. Well, it's because it belonged to the girl, Nyak, Nyak. I thought we agreed we weren't going to try to pronounce it. I tried. And I'm sorry for anybody that watches and understands. I I said it before we started recording and now I can't remember it. <sighs> Mistakes were made. I just thought it was weird that it was like a white doll with blonde hair and blue eyes. That I also thought was weird. And also I thought it was different at one point. 
Like originally, I don't think I thought it wasn't white, and then like they showed it closer, and I'm like, where did that one come from? But I think that might have just been my mind playing tricks on me and like filling in gaps for things. Maybe, but now I kind of want to rewatch it to see if the doll changed. It'd be funny if I was right with that, and it wasn't just like my mind playing tricks on me because like the first time I saw it, it was like a quick thing of it, and then the next time I see it, it's white, and I'm like, I don't think that's how that was. Speaking of eyes playing tricks on us, when they get there, the broken door. First of all, they never show anybody fixing the door, so I don't know how it got put back up. Did they install no, they it do. themselves? Ball, Ball is doing that. I but the you, door... The scene where she gets the doll out of the garbage, he's screwing in uh, hinges. And Did I he think get that's in... when they end up with the white door. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the door... I don't know if there was a significance to that, but the fact that the color of the door went from red to white, I don't know if that meant anything. I don't know, because based off their budget, I don't know how he afforded a door. Doors are fucking expensive, man. Like they are not cheap. Like even a cheap door is still like, I don't know, $200 for like, I mean like a front door. Like it's different from a, diff- like a door you have in your living room or something. Like, yeah. Cause you, it's gotta be sturdy enough to like withstand like weather and, or like security purposes. Like a solid wood door is like a good $600. So you can't put like a thin plywood door. That's just meant to like give you some privacy up there. You just hang up a curtain, right? <laughs> Uh, so no, yeah, no, it does show him, it shows him installing it. It doesn't show him purchasing it or anything else. They show him purchase like super cheap tools to do it, but he, it does show him installing it. I don't know okay. where the door came from. Maybe, maybe the, um, maybe like Matt Smith are, had it delivered. Yeah. Because I mean, he said he was going to fix the lights, which they never did by the way. Let's remember that because Paul <laughs> fixed it later. Well, maybe the lights were actually being affected by. Well, that's when I, it definitely was because it got fixed while he was digging through holes that he's made into the wall, but he's like doing everything he can to try and improve the home that they're in to be for real. Like, I mean, really? he, yeah. Cause when he starts putting the holes in, it's because he's, he's literally fixing the electric. Although I don't know if that was before or after the Are you ghost talking about when he goes ape shit and turns the entire wall into Swiss cheese because he thinks a ghost. I'm is talking the about wall? the part. No, no. I'm talking about the part where he is like on the ground laying down and he only has like the bottom part done and he's like ripping wires out and like he gets bit like that first time that he gets hurt he gets bit or cut or something happens in there oh he he cuts hit like his the inside of his thumb on on the wall yeah that's when he's like redoing the wiring no that was before the ghost yeah he figured out the ghosts don't like the lights but why i don't know because actually the ghosts come in pretty fast the ghosts do come in pretty fast. And does he see them first or does she see them first? I think he the first sees thing... them first because it's haunting him. Is he sees the, uh... them first and then he goes out and then she's like, it, it talks to her. It doesn't like haunt her. Like he is being haunted by whatever this is, but she is, it's talking with her. It's trying to like, uh, turn her against him. Well, he also has the, um, first he pulls the seaweed rope out of the wall, right? Yes. Like it starts out with an electrical wire and then all of a sudden it's covered in seaweed and then he keeps pulling it like he's trying to get to the end of it and he can't. So there's always this constant theme, whether it's in his dreams. He does get to the end of it. He gets to the end of it. What ends up happening at the end of it is he pulls it out. There's the doll and then a pair of hands pull the doll back in. I think that's why you thought that there was a doll that he saw the doll, the wall being held by hands because that's what took it back from him. Like he was getting it and then it was yanked back. Yeah, I must have got a little uh, turned around in there. But yeah, he um, does that. But then the next time the ghost appears, 
is to Rial right after she gets back from the doctor's office, which I'm not entirely sure why she even went to the doctor. That was super weird, right? Like, who's just like, you know what? I need- Well, you know what? Actually, no, it does make a little bit of sense. Whether it was like maybe a requirement, you know, because they're coming from like another country to this one. Like, that's like a normal yeah, thing. He didn't go to the doctor, doctor though. Uh, that's true. But also, it could have been she is not adapting well. So maybe she went there for like a psychological need more than like a like a physiologic physiological need, you know? Like she was going to get checked up to make sure she was okay because, you know, she's having a hard time transitioning. That's how I took it because I was like, oh, it's weird she's going to the doctor. But I was like, well, it would make sense if like you're pregnant or something. Having- well, there's that, yeah. But then, like, also, no, just like the, like, if you're not in a good mental state, like, what do you do? You go to the doctor. That doctor and didn't help was, much, though. <laughs> no, no. And she was mean mugging that doctor. But to be fair, she had not a great uh, experience getting there. The doctor was trying was to be nice to her. By those kids. The doctor had no yeah. idea how to talk to her either. No, not at all. I mean, everybody talks to them like they're, like, not human almost, or other they talk to them like they're other i guess would be like the best way to put it or something no that's true it's othering is like a big a big theme in this movie but like she also just had to deal with those three kids who she was like oh we're the same why don't you help me and like we can communicate together and those kids were like why don't you go back to africa so like she already dealt with that so i'm sure that ruined her mood and her uh desire to make further friendships like arguably they treated her the worst out of anybody in the movie, but like they're also kids and teenagers kind of tend to be dicks a lot of the time. So especially if you just walk up to them and expect them to be nice to you. That's like the worst time to talk to teens. When you're like in a in a state of despair and like you really need help, let me go approach these teenagers and hope it works out. Yeah, and they're just like they're just like fucking around. And at first they started telling her multiple directions. They're like, oh no, no, it's down that street. No, it's down that street. No, it's down yeah, like, at obviously. First I was like the first one, I was like, okay, cool. He gave her directions. The other one interrupted. I'm like, okay, maybe he doesn't know. And then when the other one goes, no, 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 remember? And then like the other one's like, oh, yeah, you know what? He's right. Like That's when you're like, oh, no, they're just fucking with her. But arguably, she is the most othered person in the entire like movie when you think about it. Because Ball yeah. chooses to try to assimilate. And he, like, doesn't, he, no, he no longer condones her lifestyle and like her heritage which he shares so she's being othered by the person that's like supposed to actually understand her and where she came from and i think that's why like for her when she starts seeing the ghost she's not seeing them as harmful she's seeing them as accepting and helpful especially because in the one scene um she walks through a door and it like transitions to like uh i don't even know what that was she goes like to a home no no she opens the closet and see, she's trying to get like the laundry and she sees a bunch of kids like stuffed in the back of a Toyota. Oh, there's that part too. Yeah. Is that not the part you meant? No, I'm talking about the part where she goes through the door and she's no longer in England and she's back home and she's there with like a group of like, like women friends, like I, like some kind of like collective or uh, some kind of group setting where they're all like together and they're doing something. I don't know what they're actually doing. Isn't that like, like a way... church type thing? It seemed like it was. Isn't that like way, way later? You're thinking of like the you're thinking of something like at the end, man. Fine, but no, I'm just saying like in general though, the ghosts and the spirits in this are are accepting of her. That's all I was trying to get to. Because even when she bumps into oh, what does she call the witch? 
It starts with a P. Anyway, when she bumps into the witch versus when he does, she she talks to it and it's like, listen, he doesn't deserve to be here. You're cool, but like he's fucking up. And then when is the part where where Ball walks in and she's sitting at the table and you can hear her having a conversation and he turns on the light and there's no one there with her because the whole thing is like the ghost can't be seen in the light. Like that happens. Monsters. That happens a little bit later. Um, but she tells him the story of the thief that stole something, and the witch is called the Apeth, A P E T H, and right. um, the Night Witch is what she calls it. And this is uh, back where we're supposed to be, actually, because this is while he was. This is right after he goes out and like assimilates and hands her a fork, and I think that's when she's like, "You know what? I didn't want it to be true." Well, she says something the, about the fork sets her off. The witch won't leave you alone until you pay your debt. How it's worded, and, and that, that made me, me so confused. I know. I'm like, what? What debt? What did he steal? And at first, I didn't realize she was even talking about him. I thought she was just like referring to some kind of like local lore or like legend. Oh no! So I, she told the story, and I got the idea that she was targeting him with it. I mean, she does like poignantly then go, and I see that you're a liar or or, or something along those lines. No, no, she calls him a but, liar. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, I didn't want it to be true, but the apath is right, and it's here to get you. And he's like, what? Oh, because that was what happened. The next thing that happens is he gets attacked by, like, the little girl who's trying to, like, cut him up. And she's wearing that terrifying mask and, like, jumping around. And then that's when he decides he needs to take everything outside that own, like, every piece of who they were and everything they had with them and And burn burn it. it. Because, I guess because fire is usually considered cleansing, but... He took, I mean, there was right. something that she, from her father too. She was like, this is from my father. And he was like, everything must go. Yeah. Let's talk about that little girl ghost though. Cause that was genuinely creepy as fuck. Yeah. She was scary. And like, I was, I was walking, I was watching it the second time today. And like my kids were in the room and yeah. I just hear, ah! and I'm like, oh shit, I forgot you were there. <laughs> No, that, that that movie did jump scares really well. Oh, they were so good. And the, I mean, the scene with the seaweed, like I don't, we didn't really play it up that much. But the scene where he's pulling it out and then the hands grab it, that was good because it's creepy enough. Him pulling a bunch of seaweed out of the wall, it's like, oh crap! And then a little ghost grabs like at him and grabs this little doll away. Because you're you're already thinking like you're you're in the moment where you're like, oh, it's the doll. But like while you're thinking, oh, it's the doll, these hands like jut out and grab it back in, and it, it's it was very very effective. Did you notice while he was pulling the seaweed in, there was like a tall lumbering figure walking behind him for like a second, but then it was gone in the next shot? No. See, I wish I did. because it, uh, it was the Apeth. We actually missed it on, I, I rewound it like 30 seconds so we could see it again, but um, it was pretty creepy. It was actually just like a great scene in general. It reminded me of that movie Low that I told you you need to watch because it was like very theatric, like not theatrical. It was like, like theatery. Where they're sitting down at the dinner table, and um, I think this is around this time when all this is happening, but it's like they're sitting down at the dinner table, and then all of a sudden the walls like crumble away on the sides, and then they're just oh. floating on the ocean, yeah. and then but like all the bodies of like the dead that are like standing there coming to him to grab him, and like that's the thing I don't know if the guilt is so much like the one specific thing, which is definitely what he did was a wrong thing. Or if it's like what you said yesterday, and it's an overarching like sense of 
of like survivor's guilt for making it there when so many didn't because they're traveling their way they got there was so rough because wasn't it like a it was like a life raft yeah no and the rubber boat you know they never actually showed what happened but like while they're on the boat there's a crash or like a cracking noise and then everybody's in the water there was like a rescue boat so i guess it happened while they were like close enough to land for london or for england that somebody you know from the i guess the english coast guard had spotted the the boat but i mean there's definitely a way to interpret this movie as like there was nothing supernatural at all and it was just the character's psychology playing off of their isolation and their guilt and their fear and just like the fact that everything is so uncertain like there's nothing for them to hold on to yeah and that could even make a lot more like even if you if you just look at it from that sense that it's just the ghost of of like their memories haunting them it would make more sense that ball would be less affected than than royale because there's that whole like masculinity aspect of like trying to keep things in which is a lot of like what he's doing throughout it until it finally breaks him after he's like smashed all the walls and he goes back to matt smith and he's like you know what i need to move and then he like has like starts hysterically laughing and smashes that glass in his hand. Like that was a deep. It's he, he, yeah, he like squeezes the glass like out of stress. But I mean, that whole scene was awkward anyway, because he showed up looking like really cracked out. And Matt Smith is trying to approach it like calmly and rationally. And I kept waiting for like plot twist. This is actually a Doctor Who episode, but it never happened. Um, <laughs> He's like, you know what? We have things to do. Come with me. He takes him out to his fucking phone box. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I also think you get like you get like a new glimpse of Matt Smith's character where that underlying like distrust of immigrants and like that uh, that fancy word you used, it it comes to the surface a little more at this point where he's like, oh, oh, you don't like it. I mean, that's fine. We could take care of that. But just so you know, I'm going to have to bring a bunch of people and investigate what's wrong with you then. Because I want to say that like Matt Smith was he was like being understanding, but he wasn't being like. He wasn't treating him with the same, like, the way you would talk to normal people. Because at one point he says to him, how's it going? And then the guy talks to him and he says, you smell. Or no, the way he phrases it is, you don't smell good. You smell bad. No, he's talking to him in that way that you talk to someone that you believe to be lesser than you. He's talking down to him the whole time like he's a child or something. It comes off that way. And like, yes, that I, I get he's being frank and everything, but it's not, I don't know. There's just like definitely a distinction. It's It's almost like... Because like, like they know that they're putting them in squalor, but then you also hear like other people in the background being like, "Oh, his house is bigger than mine." Like more people use that line, and then somebody else goes, "Oh yeah, it's a palace," and it's like it's falling apart and full of holes and like bugs and everyone around them is like trash and like their yards are literally pavement. When they first moved in, and Matt Smith is like. Oh yeah, normally what happens is you get like a house that's half the size and we put twice as many of you in there or your people in there or something. Like something that like demeans them as being individuals. Like he uses a term, I don't remember exactly which one, but it's 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 along the lines of like your kind, you know. Like there'd be twice as many of your kind in there and it'd be smaller. 
And they're like, what did we do? And he's like, I don't know, won the jackpot. Like, they, they're supposed to be super accepting and, like, super pumped to live in this horrible situation. They want them to be grateful. That's it, yeah. And she actually brings that up. She's like, you love these people from the scraps they're giving us, and you just, you, you fucking dive into it, and you love it. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what's happening, though. I mean, she hits it right there. But, like, yeah, that's how, that's the whole time he's, that's how he's talking to them the whole time. Like, they should be accepting and happy with what little they're given because they're not even citizens and they're not even going to be considered to be citizens unless they they pass this rigor of tests first. Which I don't and know then what even the then they can change their mind. Even was it was we're going to leave you alone in the shitty house and hope you don't lose your minds and give you like no way to interact with anything and not enough money to actually go out and do anything. You can't do anything else and you have to come meet us once a week. What do they expect? When you put somebody in squalor, crime becomes a necessity. So I think the idea is just that, oh, eventually they'll they'll offend and we'll have to we'll be allowed to get rid of them. Um let's go back to them though, because this they're living like I really like the supernatural aspects of the movie, even though it's like not like it doesn't happen that much. It's real subtle when it happens too. Like a lot of like you don't see for the most part, you don't see the main main ghost. You see the little girl, and then there's like that awesome scene where like the little girl pops out and he's like, Oh shit, what are you doing here? And like he walks in the room and she's like standing there at the light switch. So for some reason, she's not affected by the rules of the other ghost. There's definitely a way to interpret it that way, but I think you could watch the movie under the assumption that like none of this shit's actually real and it's just as effective. Like it doesn't lose anything from not having a supernatural no, no, no. element. Absolutely. I'm just talking about like the ghost, like I'm just talking about the way they're used in it. And then like, she turns off the light on him and he's like mob by like all of the people that like had perished on their, their trip there, which is one of the things that throws me off because like the main idea is, is something to do with the little girl, but also they're suffering this guilt for everyone also. So it's like, that part actually was the only part I didn't love in terms of the supernatural. Cause I felt like all the ghosts just kind of looked super cheesy being in the room together. Yes, and I'm like 100% sure that I saw one that was clearly just wearing a mask, like like a Halloween mask, but I wasn't looking at it from that sense. I was looking at it like I liked I liked the idea of like the lights going off, him getting attacked, turning the lights off, they're gone on and they're gone. Like I liked the struggle in it. Like he's struggling with his guilt is what I kind of saw. Like his guilt mm-hmm. is trying to hold him down and he's trying to fight against it to get to like the light. And like the girl is like up on him trying to like slit his throat during this. And like, I don't know, I thought it was an intense and it was a powerful scene. The makeup, not great. No, not at all. That scene was cool. It was just, I feel like it was the cheesiest moment in it. But like when he turns the light back on and he's still holding his, his throat, like he's choking, like that was, that was cool. Like he's gasping for air. And there's another good jump scare there. Cause the little girl's still standing there. She like, like crawls away into like a hole that's in the wall. Right. Something like that, like backwards. No. Yeah. Cause she goes into the hole and then like she goes no, was that before that? I don't know. There's a scene where she crawls into the wall and he like tries to follow her through the holes in the wall and he realizes there's a, there's a face in like every hole in the wall. Is that that part? Oh, it might be. I don't think I noticed that. I did notice the little girl. It was definitely after all of the guys attacked. So maybe he noticed the faces before that. But I know like right after that, that's when the little girl went there because she was like standing there like to give him like a, oh no, you're not crazy. I'm still here. Because I feel like that moment he was like, oh no, it's just the dark playing tricks on me. Even though, you know, because he's he's not accepting like his past. So 
I feel like that's what that was kind of set up to be. Like, he's like, okay, yeah, no, they're gone. The lights are on. Everything's cool. And then the little girl's still there staring at him. And he's like, oh, shit, maybe not. Maybe this is happening. Uh, now, this is this is leading up to the climax then, right? Like, we're getting to that point. Well, he seals up the house and she realizes she can't really escape. But then it focuses more on him. And that's when he has that vision of the apath of the Night Witch. Is this when we get the flashback again? To see what happened. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Because he, we're still kind of confused about the whole thing. But that's when Ball reaches his hand out and touches the flame because the apath, he's all of a sudden like transport. He's really sitting on the couch, but he's transported to this like, I don't even know what kind of area it was. Basically like an inside of a cave. The only thing lighting in the area is like a fire in the middle of the floor. The apath standing on the other side, eyes glowing. Yeah. And um, Ball goes forward a little bit and he touches, he touches the fire and realizes it's not hot. And he says, you can't hurt me. Make yourself at home because you can scare the crap out of me as much as you want, but you can't touch me. And that's when Rial finds him and sees that he's basically like catatonic on the couch. Yeah. Like he, he's been sitting there for so long. He urinated. He peed in his pants. See, I thought that's what that meant. Oh, yeah. I thought he was just that scared. No, no. I, I think it was just that he was like so entranced that he had just been sitting there that long that he did not get up to go to the bathroom. Wow. So that's the first time that you see the, the apath face to face, which for monster makeup, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I felt about it, but I guess it's all right. But um, oh, yeah, the reason that he learns, like, I think the reason that he tests the fire even is because the apath is like, you have to kill yourself. You give yourself to me, cut yourself with this knife and give yourself to me. And he's like, why don't you do it? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, shit, you can't. Can you? Yeah. But then something happens where he does get attacked, like, directly after that. He's like, oh, shit, maybe you can. Because it was like, a, don't fucking challenge me. No, no, that's not what happened. Um, I thought something like that did happen. I guess I'm mixing well, things up. Because he has the vision. He snaps out of it, but not because of the monster. He snaps out of it when Rial tries to escape through a window. Okay. All right, so Rial goes through the window, and then all of a sudden she's back in Africa. And she's at some type of, I guess, school building? Uh, facility and she goes into this classroom and sees a whole bunch of women and we don't really know what's going on i don't think they really say much in any language and one of them takes her by the hand and leads her to the center of this group i mean the whole room is filled with women in like classic african dress and they're singing a song i believe and they, they start uh how do you say that ululating the i, I, I thing yeah they're i think that's a lot what of that. <laughs> that i i always have the closed captions on for movies because we I just miss everything if if it's not there. Um, And she just looks really peaceful and at home, but at the same time, she's got like a tear in her eye. And they say something to her like, you know, you can't stay or something. And then the next shot is Ball. Was that it? Because it seemed like more like they were trying to convince her to come back. And then she like comes to this conclusion where she's like, oh, I know what you are. Or she, I think she says something like that. There's an episode of Scrubs that I could describe perfectly, but I don't think we need to get into that. But um, I, can't, I wish I could remember the conversations because they're basically asking they her to look deeper. very deep. much, yeah. No, no, but they're, they're like asking her to look deeper at herself, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes from there to like the door. And this transition was a little trippy, like kind of along the lines of like 2001 A Space Odyssey. But the camera goes to the door and Ball walks by and you're like, oh, fuck, he found her for a second. But then... He's wearing like a totally different outfit. He has on like khaki pants, a white button down shirt, a backpack, and 
a tie and he looks different. He looks happy. Yeah. Or I guess not totally haggard like he is now. So we can see that it's a different time period. And he goes into the room and finds her hiding in like a shelving unit, like by the ground. And, and the whole room is full of like dead bodies. Like people in this room had been massacred and she managed to avoid that by hiding out in the closet, basically in this, in this shelving unit. So then that's the point where he takes her and they leave the area and go to, uh, I guess first they get on like a Toyota to get out of the immediate area or there was this shot that, that I, that will kind of stick with me of them hiding on the roof of a building while militants walk around with guns, uh, on the street beneath them. And they're like laying on top of the building as these people pass. And there's a guy walking behind the guys with the guns who's just on fire carrying a gas can that like yes, falls down and collapses. That was, that was intense. That was real. And that came out of nowhere too. And it was super disturbing, but I mean, it was really memorable and it was like a small shot. It wasn't gratuitous in any way either. But then is, then they continue on and there's this weird shot of them walking at night while like, I guess bombs are going off overhead or something. And then that's when they get to the bus. So they get to this bus and it's it's full up, right? Like Rial is already in it. Okay, I thought she didn't get on until after he did. No, I right. think that's one of the reasons they were separated, like seating wise. Oh, okay. But because like she was like seats ahead of him, because they were only accepting women and children, and so right. he just like grabs a kid off the street and he's like, "Oh no, I have a child! I have a child! I have a child!" And then like he gets on the bus. They let him on the bus finally after this argument because it takes like a minute. The lady's like, "No, just women and children." And he's like, no, but I have, I have a child. Let me on, let me on. And then they get on the bus and then you find out that the, the child that this whole time that they've been mourning wasn't their child because her mom starts calling for her and she starts calling for her mom, but they've already filled the bus and they're ready to leave. So he stole a child to save his own life. And, you know, I've had a couple debates about this one. Um, about whether or not it's okay in this situation. I don't think it was the worst possible action he could have taken. And I know that makes me sound like an asshole, but like, well, no, by I getting mean, the kid on the, you know, he gave the kid a better chance by getting the kid on the bus than if the kid had not gotten on the bus. I've heard like these morality stories of like stuff like this before, where um, along those lines, like a woman and a child and she's hiding and there's people coming after them. They're going to kill them. And a group of other people and the baby starts to cry. What do you do in that situation? And like the woman suffocates the child because that is the lesser of the evils of like this one life or all of the lives that are on here hiding. And that's, that's sort of along the lines of what he did, but a little bit more selfishly, I think. But, um, so yeah, so we finally find out that the child this whole time that we can't pronounce the name of, I'm sorry. Cause when we did well and I tried, it was not good. Niget, Niget. Just stop. Anyway. They find out that this little girl who the whole time we're like sort of thinking is his daughter and maybe you know there's they're upset because they lost her on the boat or like more so I was thinking the whole time that he did something like the boat had an issue and he was like, well, it's me or her. So I'm the one and like got rid of her. That's what I was thinking for most of the movie until this point. But then no, he just stole someone's child. So we know now that's the debt that he owes is he owes like this life of this child that he took. And I guess, in a way, her mother's too, because her mother presumably didn't get out because of this. But, you know, and, and Rial bonded with the child, too, because, like, the guy didn't seem to care about the child once they, like, 
got out of the immediate danger area. He no, was she just was like, just whatever. a tool. But Rial said, like, I'll I'll protect you. Yeah. And then she didn't. So there's all, probably a lot of guilt there, too. Well, you can tell that Rael actually holds that guilt where he's trying to be like, move on past it. He was like, that was the past. This is the now. I mean, that's probably a big motivating factor for his leaving his entire identity behind, right? Yeah. I also like the part where, like, um, Matt Smith is like, just go back to the beginning. He's like, oh, that's a confident signature. And he's like, I, I'm a banker. And then he accepts his, like, his his current role in society over what he was. And he goes, I, I was a banker. Yeah, it's like that classic story you hear all the time where somebody was like a surgeon in their country and then they come here and they can only be a janitor or something. Oh my God, I know, I hate that. I always feel like horrible when I hear stuff like that. Like all of a sudden your education means nothing, but then like at the same time people are expected like, oh, they can come to our country and like get their education here. And then it's it's implied that it's better than what they would have gotten home. Exactly. Like there's not like world-class scientists and surgeons and stuff all over the world that have never stepped foot in America. Like she left so she wouldn't die. There was an immediate need to get the hell out of there. And he was just like a chance to start fresh. But I'm sure after, you know, the whole stealing the child thing, like it, it, he acts like he doesn't give a shit about it and he doesn't bring it up, but that's only because it hurts him so much to think about it. Yeah, like a lot of this, a lot of the movie could be easily, instead of demons or monsters or whatever, just be like, this, this is, this is guilt and shame and like survivor's remorse. Just. Did you see Babadook? Yeah, I've seen the Babadook. The movie's awesome. All right. Well, that's kind of like similar then conceptually. No, because I had a pro. I, um, <laughs> I like, I laughed too much during the Babadook. <laughs> I did not take it seriously. It's well, that's because there's that whole scene where the kid's like, Mommy, I'm hungry. And she's like, Why don't you go eat shit? Thank God you did it too. <laughs> Greatest scene in all of movie history. <laughs> I fucking died because it's so like unexpected too. Oh, you're so hungry. Why don't you go eat shit? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I say that all the time. Anytime anybody says they're hungry to me, I say that. But I don't understand. How is that Survivor's Gun? I thought that movie's underlying like message was child abuse and neglect. No, no, the underlying message of that was that her chronic depression was the Babadook. Which led to her, her <laughs> abuse and neglect. Well, no, it did. Her, her, the danger she presented was the monster. She was the monster. Yeah. Um, so it was like, and it was presented in a supernatural way, but it was really just like a big metaphor for like how personal demons can like fuck you up and the people around you. So that was a really good way of telling it. I think it was like a unique, it was like a less... It wasn't like watching a Lifetime movie. It was like, hey, we're going to tackle like depression in an entirely different way than you've seen before. And yeah. that's pretty cool. But back to this one. I don't know exactly what happened. She, she has her flashback of the situation. Mm -hmm. And doesn't she have a conversation specifically with the monster? Doesn't it tell her that if you kill him, I can give you what you want? I can give you Nyagak? Now no, you're trying to say it. <laughs> That's what I've been saying the whole time. Ish. Ugh. I've been sort of saying that. I've been almost yeah, saying that. Yeah. If I've you been say along so. those lines of saying that. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, actually, at the same time that that's happening, he's, I guess, accepting his fate. I guess he's realizing he can't he can't run away from this. Because he the, the thing gives him the knife and he takes the knife this time. And then she has her conversation with it. 
and it's like, listen, you need to give me his body. I need his body and I can give you the girl back. And she's like, I can't do that. But then she walks in the room and he's already bleeding. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. Oh, really? She walked into the kitchen and she put the knife down on the stove and she stood at like the sink or the cabinets and she was like staring at the wall, like trying to guess, I maybe steal herself up, get ready for going to kill this person, even though this isn't like who she is. And when she turns around, the knife's gone. And my first thought was like, oh, fuck, he's going to kill her. But then she looks at him and he already cut himself. He put like a big slash in his arm. Like he cut okay. major arteries. And That's shit. how that happened. I thought he got it from the monster. Okay. I missed something there. He actually did the responsible thing. Like he took the responsibility off of her and took responsibility for his own actions. That was. Well, you can tell they care about each other, but they're in this situation that's causing just this insane amount of like stress for both of them. It's, it's not a good situation for a relationship. So he he does that, and then... He's like, it's on its way, you should probably leave. Yeah, like, it's coming for me, get out of here. And then she hears it, and it starts coming up out of the floor, which was pretty awesome. It crawls up out of the floor, and um, throws him down, and then it starts to, like... Yeah, that was a confusing part. Was it just trying to get into his skin? Was it just like, I need that was... I need just the skin, I don't need the rest of this. Was it, like, <laughs> what was going on? I think it needed to be, I don't know if he was, I mean, it said, I'll give you back the girl, but I think it was trying to like find, it It was, it, it was getting. I was getting that idea actually, like the skinwalker type thing. Like I'll give her back, but I need him. I need his body for it. Like, it, like he's going to put her soul inside of him. Is that what you were saying? Like thinking? Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like I'm also, I'm also trying to look at it from like a totally metaphorical standpoint. So if we look at it, from the metaphor standpoint, then it's him finally like accepting his fate, letting the darkness into him in a way that he tried to, he tried to deny everything that was inside of himself, right? He tried to be something else. And now he's like opening himself up to, I guess, his fate, if you want to call it that. But then she comes in and just fucking slits its throat. I know. I loved that. That was great. And that reminded me of, uh, there was a Freddy Krueger movie where they basically use like a sleep study clinic to try to like bring freddy out of the dream like the concept there was that if they could grab him in the dream he would um appear in real life and then if he was alive if he was in the real world they could kill him and that was kind of how this scene made me feel because at first you think it's like implausible that she could kill a ghost but then i tried to look at it from the standpoint of like he allowed it to be real for him and that's what well he wasn't a ghost he was a witch well think about like any argument you have with somebody or something that's bothering you like if you don't acknowledge it it's not real you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that was kind of how I took that, or at least interpreted that. Oh, like she couldn't fight. Uh, we're talking about the metaphorical side. Like she couldn't fight uh, the thought process he had until he accepted what had happened and what he had done. It, exactly. Like she couldn't help him deal with it if he was going to be in denial. And and once he was no longer in denial. She could help him fight it. Yeah. And they could actually handle it together like as a couple. Okay. I, I get, I see that. It's a really great plot. Like it's, it's a really great way to tell a story that could have just been a simple drama. Yeah. And then there's that scene at the You're end. Right. This could have easily just been like a lifetime movie. If you take out like the supernatural side. But they did it in a way that was like visually cool. I mean, it wasn't like a perfect movie, but like it was a really, what's the word? Inventive maybe. Yeah. But um, then there's that scene afterwards, and I'm not sure exactly what the timeline was supposed to be here, but like 
Matt Smith and some other people from immigration services come to. I want to say this was the next day. Oh, no, I guess it couldn't be. It felt like it was supposed to be, but then they had plastered the walls. So you're right. Yeah, they had plastered the walls. They had painted some of the walls. They were in the process of like rebuilding the house, making it nice, making it making it theirs. Can we talk about Matt Smith's demeanor in this part? Because it was it threw me off because it was like, like guilty, but it was also kind of like I fucking told you like that's kind of like the vibe I was getting. Like I told you I would have to bring people by here. Yeah, like like you gave me the reason. Now I'm going to get rid of you. Yeah, because he was sulking in the corner. I think he was I think he was a little a little disappointed that they like pulled their shit together, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he, he comes back and it's all fixed and he's like, God damn it. It was obvious that like damage had still been done, but like the fact that they were trying to repair it showed that maybe they weren't as awful as maybe he described them. I don't know like what he said to his superiors, but you know, it couldn't have been a glowing recommendation. Except for the hole in the floor that was covered by like a rug that seemed like it had blood on it. <laughs> we put a rug on it. It's fine. It seems like they're they're like, okay, you guys passed. But as they're walking out, they're like, they can't do that. Like, you hear, like, a lady in the background, like, talking shit. Yeah, I mean, well, they did, like, it's destruction of property. But, I mean, they were trying to fix it. Technically, he did go there and say there were rats. So they could always just go back to that argument. Yeah. But it's rats. I told you there were rats. You didn't move us. I, I You told me to take care of it myself. I did. I did. And he fixed the lights, which was the first reason he started putting holes in shit. But um, let's talk about that last shot, though. Of them in the house. Do you remember this? Of like him with Matt Smith when Matt Smith is like. No, no. Where he and Rial are like saying goodbye to them, but they're seeing like 50 other people in their house. So I kind of saw this as literally like their ghosts living with them and them being like accepting of, you know, like you, I, have you ever heard that term? Like your ghosts live with you? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's why I was, I was seeing it as like, as like, they've brought those ghosts home. Like not like uh, they're accepting them, but like now they're like, okay, you guys are with us. Like we accept you and you're free with us here. Like us being free is you being free. Like that's how I kind of interpreted it. I mean, I didn't interpret it as the ghost being real at all. So I think that's where we're diverging. That could be. You did say acceptance. And I, I think that's the main point of the movie. It was just, it's not by pretending you're someone else, you know, it's not by necessarily running back to where you were because that's all, you know, it's just about taking ownership of your actions and the things you've done. And I think that ultimately they do that at the end. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely that. The only thing I don't really like about this movie was the title. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's when she's explaining about the witch, she explains how the epath like moved into the thieves house. And then it became the epath's house. It was his house. I think she says something like that. And then later in the movie, when he's fighting with it, he's like, get out. This is my house. This is my house. I'm sure there's a deeper meaning we can attribute to it. But like, I mean, I liked it overall. I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really good movie. I think one of the things that I maybe take fault with it for, and I don't know if it's something that needed to be fixed or whatever, is just the fact that the movie was very obviously like politically motivated. Mm -hmm. Like it was it very much had an agenda in terms of like just trying to show that maybe people should be more accepting and just like the hardships people go through. I wonder if it was a little bit less for us because that was, it was, it's, it's definitely more on like British politics too. Like, so like, Oh, for it sure. Can, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's open for everyone, but I think maybe that's why the first time, like I watched it and like you, you were saying too, where it's like, okay, like I liked this, but I don't, 
I don't have anything for it right now, which is why I had to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Because at first I watched it, I'm like, all right, I liked the movie. I don't know why I liked the movie, and I'm not really sure what happened here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot there, but like, I guess my main problem with it was it was like overtly political, but at the same time, it was not really political. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it like encased it in this this ghost thing, and it, it didn't give you a single like. It was very like Kafka esque in terms of the way they're in this thing they don't know the exact procedures of how things work and like neither do we so we're kind of thrown into it like they are but i don't know maybe a blurb at the beginning about like just statistics of like immigration in london or something and how many people get get there versus how many people get sent back would have maybe been all i'm asking for i don't know or or at the very least like for like uh, as far as like refugees not even just immigration because immigration is like but they were coming over for a very specific reason you're right i should have said refugees um, but overall, it's a really good movie. It works in a supernatural sense. It's not a fun movie by any means. Like it's heavy, but it's not heavy to the point where you get bogged down by the politics of it. So you can definitely like sit down and watch it. I would say good for kids, maybe 11 and up, but be cautious of jump scares because sometimes they get you. And, and visually it's, it's really beautiful visually. I thought because like, even in oh, the yeah. bleaker spots, it's still nice. The aesthetic works. All right. Well, I liked it. You liked it. That's like 15 out of five beards on a four beard scale. I was going to say three out of four beards. I'll agree with that. No uh, fractions this time. No fractions this time. I agree with that because like, while I really liked it and I liked the visuals and, and the story and the jump scares were good, I I did for a while watching it feel lost as to what I was supposed to feel for it. I liked it. But I don't know, I can't describe it to you, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a little, um, I guess maybe it could be an international thing. It might just be because we're not British, but I did find I think a little bit that. of it to be, to be a little inaccessible, I guess. Because if it was like a detention center in US or like a shot of, I don't know, Guantanamo Bay or something, that would resonate well with us. But yeah. um, this was a little more. You worded what I was trying to say better <laughs> just now. That's what I was, yeah. That's what I was trying to say. That was what I was going to get. Okay, cool. So we're on the same page then. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of Bearded B-Roll's Freaky Fridays. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bearded B-Roll and look for us anywhere you find podcasts. Also, check out our website, beardedbroll.com for info and links to merch. And if you feel like it, email us with ideas and suggestions for topics at beardedbroll at gmail.com. Bye, I'm Kyle, and this is the dumb shit part. Okay, I buy that. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Fine. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. 